Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here at Grace Church today. Why don't you stand with us this morning? Look at your favorite neighbor right in the eye. Tell him, I'm here to give God glory today. I'm here to give Him glory. All of the glory is His. We're going to sing. We're going to praise. We're going to worship. Lift up His name in the house today. Stop, there 
praise all over the house. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on. That, that feels like somebody's getting, getting ready to worship the Lord. You're stirring up your praise today. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's just take a moment and do that right now. Jesus, the glory is yours. All power is yours, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I told the, told the men yesterday gathered for men's prayer. We had an amazing time in the presence of the Lord. And I just remarked, I said, you know, it really feels like we've, we've been made to sit in heavenly places today. And I feel that again here this morning. It's like we're just soaring on the, on the wings of, of the Holy Spirit and, and that He's taking us into heavenly places today. I, I'm anxious to see what God's going to do before we leave today. Do you feel that way today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you may be seated this morning. It is so good to see every one of you here at Grace Church. Thank you so much for making Grace Church a part of your Sunday, and I know that you will be blessed in the presence of the Lord. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we are so glad that you've chosen to be part of our service today, and our prayer is, is that it is a blessing to you. I want to uh, continue to thank you for your generosity and giving. As always, you can give online, and you can also give on your way out in the lobby this, this uh, after church uh, today and, and be a part of the ministry of Grace Church, and we appreciate your faithfulness very much. I do want to take a moment and just let you know about a couple of things that are coming up this week. And how many of you know it just kind of feels like we're, we're getting our momentum back around here. It just kind of feels like things are moving and starting to feel halfway normal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yesterday, again, to reference men's prayer, when we walked out of men's prayer, there was just a host of activity going on around the church. There were a number of groups doing a number of things, and it, was, it just kind of felt like the old days. So um, I'm thankful for that, and this week will be no exception. You have a couple of opportunities today, or you'll have a couple opportunities this week to be involved. Of course, today is the last and final day of our 21 Days of Sacrifice. Thank you so much for participating in that. Uh, God is doing great things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe we set ourselves up and we allow God, we, 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 we open a channel for God to move all, all year long when we start the year that way. So thank you for, for that. Of course, tomorrow night at 714 uh, at, at, at home is uh, uh, United Family Prayer. We want you to be faithful to that. And then... Another opportunity to pray Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock right here in the sanctuary as your schedule allows. And then uh, directly after church today, uh, you have the opportunity to purchase red beans and rice and cornbread and dessert and just deliciousness uh, right next door at the Ace Center. And they will have uh, it set up where you can eat here at the church or you can take it to go. And this is all to support Heather Tier. Going back to Finland on missions. Uh, she'll be going this summer, and we want to support her. We want to we want to get behind her. And if I could just take a moment right here, I want I want to tell our church this, and I want to tell you how important this is, what Heather's doing, and how proud we are of her. Um, um, and and I'm going to be careful. I know we're on live stream, but as many of you know, we had the opportunity, my family and I, to serve on a foreign field for about a year, uh, many years ago. And we learned real quick that not everybody that comes to missions, to do missions work, to do missions at the missions field, uh, really needs to be there. Let me just say it that way. And um, 
And we, there was one instance where uh, a, a young lady had come to the missions field to, to help, I guess. And the missionary called her pastor and put her right back on a plane and sent her back. And uh, it just that not everybody there should be there. And so I'm telling you that to tell you this. The fact that the Alphans have invited Heather back for a third trip tells you all you need to know about her burden, tells you all you need to know about her, her, her intentions, her passion for the missions field, and the impact she makes when she gets over there. So we want to support Heather, and we want to get her back to Finland for her third tour of duty, if you will, and allow her to minister and be a blessing to the, to the Alphans over there. So that's what this is all about, and we want you to be a part of that. If your address has changed, contact the church office as soon as possible because we need to get your contribution statement out to you uh, for your taxes. Uh, so please do that. And then very special announcement, this coming Sunday, not today, next Sunday, we need all of the parents and kids ages 16 and up that would be interested in attending Youth Congress this year to have a very, we need to meet with you, uh, Brother Mark, Sister Brianna needs to meet with you to discuss Youth Congress immediately following the church, uh, following the service in the A Center next Sunday after church. So we'll announce that again Wednesday night, but please make a note of it. We need to talk to you, get a game plan, let you know now what you need to be doing for Youth Congress in August. So. Uh, that's a very important meeting. And then finally, finally, we're going to get back to worship. Don't forget that today you can drop off uh, warm winter clothing, uh, blankets, beanies, jackets, sleeping bags, anything that would help against, uh, against the winter weather. And uh, Katie Ty is going to get those through hands of grace uh, into the hands of people that can get those to the people that need them most. And uh, that will be a blessing. So let's be the hands and feet of Jesus and allow, uh, allow Grace Church to be a blessing to those in need uh, with this great, great opportunity. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's worship the Lord today, and then we're going to hear some great preaching. God's going to do some awesome things. Would you clap your hands one more time as the praise team comes? God bless you today. Just me. 
Shut 
Let's worship the Lord a little bit longer this morning. Let's give him the praise and the honor and the glory that he's due. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Is God good this morning? Do you love Him? Praise the Lord. I appreciate the Spirit of God that I have felt here pretty much all day. I got here kind of early to help my daughter and, and kind of went off by myself to pray knowing that I'd have to preach to you. And I have felt the Spirit of God so strongly. And I appreciate that. I'm very honored to be in this position, in this place that I'm in this morning. But I'm also very cognizant of the fact that it's a serious place because God loves you. It's serious for me because I'm standing in between God and you and I know that He loves you and you're important to Him and that's something that you need to remember. Praise the Lord. We're going to read our scripture this morning and then I'm going to ask you to pray with me before I... I allow you to, or I ask you to sit down. Psalms 78 and 35 says this. And they remembered, and they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Can you pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you. We appreciate you. I'm thankful for your presence. And I'm thankful for this message. I am thankful for these people. Lord, I pray that you move aside any obstacle. Lord Jesus, between you and them, dear Lord, that you may minister and restore and strengthen, Lord Jesus, as you intend this morning. In your precious, precious and holy name we pray. Everyone say amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Here are three words. I'm going to try to be succinct this morning as I always do. My family kind of laughs at me about that. But I've got things to say, and I believe that you, the Lord wants you to hear them. I, rem I remember when, I remember when, are normally three words which precede some really good stories, right? I remember when. In my own life, I have entertained my children with numerous stories of my own childhood, these stories that I told them, I said, oh, I remember when. It was normally about how I survived my childhood with so many older brothers, and they seemed to be very antagonistic toward me for some unknown reason, especially when they found me digging in their stuff, and I would irritate them so much. Other recollections that I had that I shared with them was how my, my, mo my mother felt it was necessary to discipline me all the time. And I don't know, I don't know how you grew up. I, I love my mother. She was a godly woman, but she absolutely, she could quote the Bible. She read it through every year, and she keyed in on this specific verse, spare the rod and spoil the child. And uh, apparently the rod meant switches and belts and slippers and hands, whatever was necessary to keep her youngest son in line. I got an amen to that. Praise the Lord. Somebody shares my pain. Some of my shared recollections 
were for the purposes of teaching. Oftentimes when I disciplined my children, I, I disciplined them with life lessons. You can ask them how painful those life lessons were. I would sit for half an hour with five and six-year-old children and explaining to them how this affected my life and how it would affect theirs. And, uh, once my, one of my children, I will not name who, said, Dad, why don't you just whip me and get it over with? I understand that. I understand that. I remember these things, you know. I wanted them to remember the, these things. I, I tried to explain to my, sh my children my, that we shared the experiences of this journey through life. My recollections, ladies and gentlemen, are all that remain of my childhood. My heritage is encapsulated in the mechanism of my memory. Not all of my memories are good. Some are painful. Some are birthed from struggle and disappointment and bad decisions and failure and falling. Those are part of my memories. Many, however, are full of wonder and the pleasures of discovery and accomplishment. I remember when my children were born. It, it, it is somewhat cliche to say that it changes you, but it literally changed me. When I held my, I remember, I can remember the emotional state that I was in and the change, the tangible change in me when I held my children in my hands. It was profound. It even causes me to become emotional now because these small children were my future as, 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 as much as anyone else's. I remember whenever my wife told me that we were going to have Hannah, I had walked in and we were, we were relatively newlyweds and, and I came in from a great distance away. I, I traveled a, quite a bit back then. And normally she seemed happy to see me. We were just been married maybe seven or eight months. She's, you know. And I walked in and she was not the same Ethel. And uh, she, I was going to say, I said, well, hey, I was a little offended. Here's your gorgeous husband. And she said, there's something on the lavatory for you. And you know you're in trouble when your wife uses the term lavatory. In, okay. So I went in there, and, and, she, had, and she had made a, a print out of a stark carrying a baby and says, you're going to be a dad. And then I turned to my right, and there she was weeping because we had great big plans, you know. And it was at that moment I remember, I remember distinctly, I thought to myself, someone is going to call me dad. Somebody's going to call out to me, daddy, and that's going to be me. I remember that. That'll stay with me for the rest of my life. To me, memory is precious. Stored in it are the faces of my mother and my father and my brothers who have passed from this world. Memory links us to the treasures and the truth of our origins. I speak not only of natural origin, but also of our spiritual origin. Can you remember where you were when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Can you remember the, the feeling whenever you went down in a baptistry in the name of Jesus Christ? I can. I remember the moment that I was filled with the Spirit of God. I, I remember the day that I was baptized in His precious name. I have within my memory the moments 
of his interventions and his movements in my life. I have the memory of his anointing when I have preached and when I have prayed. I recall the moments that I've fallen and the immediacy of his presence when I got right back up again. I have within my memory the baptism of my children, those occasions in which he moved in their lives, preserving their lives, saving their lives, healing their bodies, and ministering through them. I remember those days. These stored experiences are a precious part of the foundation of my life. My memories are integral or an integral part of me, just as they are of you. If you ever forget who you are, you need to remember. If you are ever listless, you need to start dredging back from the memories of your youth and, and from your early days in church. Because of this, I know that my relationship with God is not defined only by my present circumstances, but also by my heritage of experience with Him. What I'm trying to tell someone here today is that your memory is not just a fleeting snapshot of your past. If you, ever, if you have ever walked with God, if He has ever called you His child, and if you ever called Him your father, your memory has power. Which brings us to God's chosen people, as it often does, the Israelites. The history of ancient Israel is a very tumultuous and turbulent one. You read the Old Testament and you can see very plainly a flawed people. It spans centuries, and within those centuries are generations that are interspersed with rebellion and with following after God with their whole heart. Their story can be viewed in reality as a microcosm of the whole of humanity. They are, their struggles are very similar to our own. Their triumphs are very similar to our own. To our own. They're separated by technology and time, but in reality, they were just people like you and I. They were a society tethered to their identity as God's people. That is another similarity between people that lived thousands of years ago and you. Your identity is still tethered to the same God. Yet at times they found themselves drifting from the shelter of God's presence. We began today at the 78th Psalm, verse 35. But we need to establish a little foundation that goes to that verse. The 78th Psalm is considered one of the wisdom psalms. It's written to instruct God's people, to tell them something. The theme is the goodness and, and kindness and graciousness of God to a people who have for various reasons and at various times have drifted from Him. This, this drift is manifested in a myriad of ways in that ancient culture. But we can easily find parallels in our own lives if we care to look. They drifted at times. It could have been great. It could have been minor. And if we look at our own lives, I believe we can find the same thing sometimes. 
They did abandon God wholeheartedly at times, adopting the aspects of the culture in which they lived. But this was not done in a singular step, ladies and gentlemen. They just didn't wake up one morning with the identity of God placed upon them, the fingerprint of God on their DNA, and decide they weren't going to serve him. It was done incrementally, a little bit at a time. These, the extremes of wholesale idolatry were simply the culmination of smaller steps of seemingly insignificant movement, a little bit at a time. From the first pew to the sixth pew to the last pew. To making it in every other Wednesday night. To not making it any Wednesday night. I'm not really, I don't, I'm not feeling it this morning. I don't think I'm going to go to church. It's a very similar attitude. It was incremental. Actions. They were actions that if viewed in isolation would seem harmless and and spiritually insignificant. But moment by moment, they caused the vibrant reality of God to fade within their lives and within their society. This is the nature of the drift in God's people. This incremental shift or drift can be present within us through various ways, through various means. The world in which we live today is not so different in reality from that ancient one. It is composed of stresses and enticements. They had to get up just like you do and go to work and provide from their family. They had the same temptations that were based on the same human frailty as, that you, as you and I do. Our lives, just like theirs, were is filled with the urgency of material need and the disappointment of those needs not being fulfilled. However, this myopic concentration on the material rather than the eternal begins to suppress the reality of God in our lives. We don't have time for God as much as we used to. Humanity is increasingly joined through the umbilical of artificial sterile electronic media. And you've heard me speak about this with some frequency, and you may say, well, this, this is your pet peeve. No, I just see what it does. I just see what it does to societies and families and church. Genuine relationship, which, genuine relation, relationship which requires work as God intended is now filtered by the various platforms we use to maintain connection. This may seem irrelevant to our relationship with Jesus, but how many people have inadvertently begun to interact with the Lord in the stunted, anemic way they do with their social media group? God, ladies and gentlemen, is not your Facebook friend. He does not care what you put on Instagram. No, I take that back. He really does. But not for the same reasons you may think. I have found through my personal interactions with people that simple conversational skills have become lost. I loathe texting people. I loathe texting people. 
you can, it's hard enough to determine how, what kind of emotional state I am when you normally talk to me. Most people think I'm mad all the time. I'm really not. I just have just, this is my face, and it's really hard to move it around. So I leave it like this a lot. But through the course of conversation, you can kind of figure out, well, man, he's in a pretty good mood. He looks terrible, but he's all right. Well, you can't tell that because I am just as terse in my text messages as I am in person. So if I have ever offended you in text, please forgive me. Let's have a conversation. This sterilized interaction can begin to infect our, uh, infect our connection to our Creator. We begin to sample services various services electronically, isolating ourselves from the body. I love social, I love live streaming. I really do. I, we used it. It was necessary earlier. But there's nothing like being in church, folks. There's nothing like sitting on these pews and feeling the Spirit of God move through the collective body. There's nothing like it. We need that. We need it in our lives. It's necessary for the body of Christ for it to be healthy. We start to prefer, if we are isolated, we start to prefer diverse opinions over truth and doctrine. This accelerates the drift from authentic relationship with God. God and our relationship with Him, if we are subject to this drift, our relationship with Him can begin to be assessed as to His immediate value. God's children will find themselves deferring to more, con a more convenient time the necessities of that relationship's care and development. I'm going to pray later. I'm going to read the Word later. I'm going to engage in church later. The memory of God and the qualities of our relationship with Him can be Buried under the cares of this world, the shame of our failures and the needs of our lives. All of these things are usually not manifested at once, but rather a little bit at a time. One small step at a time. The problem, Grace Church, is not in the big leap from our knowledge of God and our spiritual heritage. It is in those incremental steps that moment by moment steal the vibrancy of that God-ordained relationship that we're supposed to have. Unfortunately, it can occur as we attend church. It can, it can occur right here. While we sit in pews and chairs and are surrounded by the beauty of Jesus' presence, it occurs not because we lack a memory, but because we no longer value it properly. The incremental drift from God is a symptom of an increasingly distracted mind. It is the fruit born from a life that has devalued the presence of God just a little bit and then just a little bit more. It is the evidence of the presence of something that has effectively pushed the Lord a little off from the center of our heart, a little more to the periphery. It could be something as large 
and substantial as the anxiety generated by the pandemic and the social unrest that we face every day. Or it could be something as intimate as shame and failure. I don't want to face God. I've made, I've made this horrible mistake. How can I pray? How can I reach out to God when I've been in error? It could be a bad choice that is compounded by another bad choice or simply the need for the necessity of providing for my family. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is for you or for anybody else, but it, it can be anything that replaces God in your life. It is those things that cause you to regard God a little less. With each, piece, with each passing moment, the reality of God is replaced with the concept of God. The children of Israel often had a concept of God, but they did not have a reality of God in their lives because of that drift. There is, there is something important we need to understand about our memory of God. That memory of God is meant to instigate revival in our lives. It's not meant to sit there unregarded as an artifact of a more vibrant time in your life. I don't want you to come up to and tell me, I remember when God really moved in my life. If you're saying that, ladies and gentlemen, that's a problem. I would rather you tell me God is moving stronger than he ever has before. I remember what I felt when I was 15 or 20. But man, it's nothing like what I feel now when I enter into the kingdom, whenever I enter into the church, whenever I enter into prayer. God's power hasn't diminished. You're just not accessing the power of your memory. So because of this, the author of the scripture that we read earlier in the book of Psalms established his purpose for writing first and then and that purpose is based upon the power of memory and the dangers of drift psalms chapter 78 4 through 6 says this we will not hide them from their children showing to the generation to come the praises of the lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done this man is telling his brothers and sisters that they had a legacy of the power and presence of God manifested in their life. It was expressed in the deliverance of, of them from Egypt. It was expressed in the parting of the Red Sea and the parting of the Jordan River. It was expressed in them being fed by manna and drinking water from the rock. They had a legacy of the power of God in their lives. Verse 5 says, For he established a testimony in Jacob. He did something in Jacob's life. He established a testimony in Jacob's life. Let me tell you something. What God does for me is relevant for you. I want to know the miracles that God has done in your life because it's part of my spiritual heritage. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. You teach it to your kids so that your kids can teach it to theirs. 
Don't let it get lost in the drift caused by this world. He was saying we're going to establish the reality of God now so that it endures as a memory in the people tomorrow. This was done because when things around them began to shake and when chaos entered their lives, when the environment for spiritual drift was present, there was something that anchored them to the truth of Almighty God. This scripture is speaking to that ancient people, but by extension it's talking to me and you. It's saying that when, this, when that corrosive drift begins in the mind... That there's something else, there's something else buried deep down in our hearts that reminds us of who we really are and who our God really is. The children of Israel were people plagued by the deficiencies that are common to man. They do not stand apart because of their exemplary character and godly integrity. That's not what makes them unique. They are not examples of steadfast spiritual conduct. They are meaningful to us because they were the canvas onto which God painted a portrait of his love, mercy, and grace. And he had to do it over the deficiencies of man and the failures of his children. You think, well, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a worthless canvas God doesn't need me. You're just the canvas that God wants. You're just the person that I have failed numerous times, brother. I mean, you don't understand. I have disappointed my God. That's right. That's good. Because I know a God. I remember a God that lifted me up when I failed. When I was in error, he said, Ben, I understand. I forgive you. Stand up again, son. i got some work for you to do. That's the kind of God that we serve, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let the devil steal from you the joy of restoration because you're wallowing in the lie of Satan saying you can't get it. Psalm 78 and 7 says this, that they might set their hope in God. And not forget, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Their memory was rooted in the works of God in their life. It was rooted in the reality of God in their lives. This, ladies and gentlemen, this may shock you, but this is not a social organization. This is not a fraternal organization. There is going to be food afterwards, so I can't say that. But you don't just come here and hear something and go out and eat. You are going to do it today. That doesn't normally happen. If you are new at Grace, we don't normally serve bread and beans and rice after church. But there's something precious about this place. They remembered, the children of Israel, they remembered not only the deliverance of God when they were surrounded by the external enemy. But also, they remembered the deliverance of God when they succumbed to their internal enemies 
as well. Let me tell you a few things about a few things about the aspects of what you have buried up in your mind. Memory, ladies and gentlemen, has power and purpose. If you feel a little distracted this morning or if your connection with God is, is as cold as ice, I want you to stop and begin to dig deep in the recesses of your mind and begin to remember. Why? That you might set your hope in God and not forget His works and begin again to be obedient to His commandments. That's why. Memory tethers you to the truth of your past and it binds you to your identity. 1 John 3 and verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, what manner of love hath the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Romans 8 and 16 says this, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we, you and I, are children of God. Your memory tethers you to the Scripture that you are the child of God. I'm going to talk about a parent-child relationship a little bit more in a few moments, but you need to remember, you need to remember, ladies and gentlemen, just who you are and that your heavenly Father does not abandon his children. Memory. It can be used as a light to dispel the darkness of the lies that surround us and the twisting of truth. It can be the foundation that calms the emotional turbulence of life. The scripture says that Jesus spoke saying, I am the light of the world in John 8 and 12. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is the light, but you can have it too. We need to remember that this revelation of God being the light of the world is important to those who walk in relationship. We need to remember that. Matthew chapter 5 says this in verse 14, Ye, you and I are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be here, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light shine. How are you going to let your light shine if you don't remember where it comes from? Your adversary, your adversary, and this world want you to become lost in the frantic pace of modern life. They want you to become overwhelmed with your failures and your deficiencies. And above all, they don't want you to remember. They don't want you to remember. Satan desperately does not want you to stop and consider what's stored deep down in your brain. He doesn't want you to remember that God is your rock and your redeemer. He desperately wants you to think about tackling this world on your own. That you're alone. But let me tell you something. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell, ladies and gentlemen. Because I remember that I am not alone in this world. That I have a Father in heaven that loves me. He loves me so much that he hung upon a cross. That I might have life 
more abundantly. Your memory is the resource you need to turn to when all else in your life has been spent and depleted. I'd like to draw your attention to the concept of inheritance and its link to memory. When we think of inheritance, we have been conditioned in this world to think only in material terms, only in material things. We inherit land and wealth and homes and things, trinkets and whatever is passed down to us, things that belong to someone else. When my father passed from this world, I inherited certain things that were very precious to me, it's mainly his tools. They're old and worn, and some of them are rusted, but they mean something to me. I have a, I have a uh, spoke shave. Yeah, look that up. Uh, I've never used it. I don't know what to do with a spoke shave, ladies and gentlemen. I had, he, he gave me a wood plane, very old wood plane. You don't want me planing any wood. I need modern tools. But I, I have these things. I took care of them, and I cleaned them off, and I awed them up. I have them on a shelf so I can remember. My dad did use that. He was a craftsman. But I believe that there are other inheritances that are more precious than those things. I believe the most precious inheritance you have, ladies and gentlemen, is your memory. Is your memory. There's a parable given by Jesus that is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Many have used this parable to demonstrate the magnitude of God's love and mercy or the blessings associated with remaining within the body of Christ. And that is real. That's a real reason to use that. It shows you that we've got a way back. But I I believe there's more to that story that's normally preached across pulpits. It does illustrate those things, but I believe there's a little more there. Join me. While I, while I read that scripture, it says Luke, in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 15, it says this. And he said, Jesus speaking, a, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I want my inheritance. And the father divided unto them his living. He took his estate, he divided up, and he gave it. His, son, his youngest son's portion to him. We see in the beginning of this narrative, we say this was a young man. He wasn't a child. He was a young man. He had lived in that house for years. We see in the beginning of this narrative a mindset, a mind that has begun to drift. This young man who, was, who has been the beneficiary of material blessings has somehow, it seemed, overlooked the most precious thing in his life. We know from future actions of his father that this child has existed within the influence and atmosphere of genuine love and affection. The father at the end of this story is the same father at the beginning. This environment, however, has been reduced in his mind to the most basic of resources, money. Verse 13 says, and not many days after, The younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. 
When this parable is normally read, there is usually no emphasis placed on the first five words of verse 15. And not many days after. Why would we pay attention to that? It just seems like filler, really. Doesn't it? The young man in this story, however, did not receive his share of his father's estate and immediately leave. He didn't, he didn't have his hand down and his bags packed at the same time. It seems that the decision to leave was made a little time later. The first decision, Sister Casey, was to ask for the money. Well, the next decision was to leave. It was an incremental drift in his mind from the presence of his home. It seems that the choice to spend his material wealth, that thing that he had thought was the sum total of what his father could offer, was done one moment at a time. With each decision made, while in this reduced state, the resources he valued so much were depleted until he was bankrupt and destitute. Verse 14 says this, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks, that the swine did eat, and nobody gave him anything. This young man who had drifted away from his father and family found himself impoverished and bereft of his inheritance, separated from all that had nourished him as he grew up. He stood there among the swine, having misinterpreted what was actually important. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The value of serving God and having relationship with Jesus should never be measured through the accumulation of the things that are coveted most in this world. I don't care how fat your bank account is, what kind of house you live in, or what kind of car you drive. That's not what's important. Don't buy into the lie of this world. What you get in this place on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night and when you dig through the pages of this book can carry you a lot further than the fastest car you can ever buy. It is more valuable than the finest clothes that you will ever purchase. Romans 14 and 17 says this, For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Which brings us to the part of this parable, the parable that I believe is so powerful. It is the moment that this isolated young man realizes that he has a second inheritance. He actually has two inheritances. He spent one, but he still has the other. Let me explain to you. Verse 17 says this. Hallelujah. And when he came to himself, let me, let me translate, let me give you the, the BCT translation. When he remembered, when he remembered where he came from, when he remembered his father's house, 
Hallelujah. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to where I came from. And I'm going to say to my father, Lord, I've, Father, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Make me as a hired servant. And he arose and came to his father. In verse 20, but when he was yet a way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He's starting to understand the power of a memory, ladies and gentlemen. This young man is starting to understand the power of the memory that he held within him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But his father said something interesting to him. In verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. Now bring some bread. Bread's for later. I want you to bring the best robes and put it on my son and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring him hither to the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he's found. That is what he found when he went back home. He was looking for bread and food, but he found restoration of relationship from a father who missed him from the moment he left. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. There was something retained in this young man's heart that transcended all the wealth that he spent when he was lost from his family. It was a memory that held power. It held the power to propel him from the filth of the world to a place of repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. I I like to think that as he traveled back home, he was hungry. He had no shoes on his feet. He was filthy. As he traveled, I I like to think that he, he passed those places that had stripped him of his wealth but could never strip him of his memory who could never strip him of his identity. They took everything from him except the most precious thing. Let me tell you something, church. You only can give this world what it, what you, this world can only take from you what you give it. Never let go of your memory of God. You are a child of God. I don't care what state you're in. I don't care what she, whether you don't have any shoes. I don't care if you got stripes on your back, if you're struggling to make one way, one step in front of another. You still belong to your Father. You still belong to Jesus Christ. And if you find your way back to Him, you're not going to find just material blessings. You're going to find restoration and a path back to your God. Somewhere buried deep in his heart was the memory of a loving family and a home blessed by his father. Church, I think we too often measure the value of God by the blessings of God. Hear me again. I think we too often measure the value of God by the blessings of God. What you receive from God in the form of his beneficence should never be the sum total of your relationship with him. You aren't in this to get a better job. You're not even in this to get more life. You're in this and in relationship with God for life after. 
I think we sometimes reduce this experience to how much material we can extract from our Father. We lower our expectations of the supernatural to those things that we can hold in our hands. The young man in this parable was reminded of his father's house by the need in his life. How often do we curse the need that eventually reminds us of our father's house? Hey, I got news for you. Somebody somewhere is praying for you. And that prayer may be something as simple as, Lord, I don't want that person to be lost. And that begins to unfold a chain of events that might open up some things in your life where you need God. And that need begins to remind you where you came from for the purposes of for you making your bay back home. That need caused this young man to submit to the power of memory. But he only stood the true nature of his father when he saw that noble man run to a lost son. Indifferent to the conventions of that society. You need to remember something. That, that scripture is depicting a noble, wealthy man running to meet a son that had insulted him in the face of his community. You didn't do that back then. And for that man in the garb that he was wearing to be able to run, he had to lift his, his robes and expose his legs as he ran to meet that boy that he loved. That was a disgrace to the man running. But he didn't care. His boy, he saw his boy coming back to him. He saw his child returning. And that's all he cared about. This young man held within him a memory of a father who waited expectantly for his return to restore him, not, return, not to destroy him. Some of you have believed the lie of Satan that says God can't love you. You've drifted too far from him. You've replaced him with some things. He's insulted. Stop projecting onto God your diminished capacities for love and grace and mercy. That's not who my father is. That young man's father's focus was only secondarily on feeding this malnourished boy. His primary focus was on the restoration of that relationship. The son wanted food, but first he found his identity renewed within his family. Our memory of the blessings associated with our connection to God, that may be what our memories are, but once we find our way back, what we discover is that the love of God is really at the root of those memories. Some of you may only be in a place that has you fatigued. and Some of you may be in a place that has diminished you. 
You may be in a place of desperation and extreme need. This world may have extracted from you your vitality and your hope, leaving you gasping for a lifeline. Others of you just may be tired, distracted from the constant attention that is required from your marriage and your family and your job and life. Both these places are dangerous. Why? Because it is difficult to see the loving compassion on the face of your Father from the distance created when we drift from His presence. We are beings that were designed, ladies and gentlemen, to be in relationship with God. We were never meant to be subjects of sin, reduced to scrambling for the scraps of this world. Mankind was created to be the image bearers of Almighty God, not to be consumers of the lies of this world, spending our lives in pursuit of the frivolous trinkets of a corrupted world. So this morning, I ask you, if you could stand, I ask you to dig into your memory, pull up the victories of your past. Remember when God delivered you the last time or the first time. I encourage you to remember that God, He is still your rock. He is still the high God, your Redeemer. Your memory of Jesus has power, ladies and gentlemen, because it is true. It is true. It's not the fiction of this world. It is not a construct of this society. He stands apart from that. The Lord does not hide himself from you. He is not hesitant to embrace you. Your perception of a reluctant God is rooted in your experience with a flawed character of man, not in the reality of Jesus Christ. Let me help you build your memory. Let me read to you a few scriptures to help you build your memory. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're building your memory this morning. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. I don't read in that beautiful parable where that young man had to get down on his face and grovel before that father. Neither do you. The pathway to Jesus is paved in his blood. A blood that he gave willingly so that you can find your way to him regardless of what condition you may be in. If you have not yet entered into that relationship, I pray that this morning you begin to establish a new testimony. You can use mine. You can put that in your memory bank. 
begin to establish a new testimony, a legacy founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ that is offered as a gift through the grace and mercy of God. I encourage you to find a place of repentance. I encourage you to be baptized in His precious name. And I encourage you to be filled with His Spirit. Can you come forward, church? I don't know what condition you may be in. I don't know what place you you may be in. I don't know what how the drift is manifested in your life. But I do know one thing. You have a memory of an almighty God that is reaching out to you this morning. He doesn't want to just feed you. He wants to put a ring on your finger. He wants to wrap you in a cloak of identity. And He wants to put some new shoes on your feet. He wants to whisper in your ear, you belong to me as you always have. Can you pray this morning? Can you yield yourself to God this morning? It's not about how you view yourself. It's about how that precious Savior views you. Your God loves you this morning more than you could ever imagine. And He has opened the door in this place, in this hour, in this time, in the condition that you're in so that He can demonstrate to you just how much He loves you. Fullness of joy, every fear, suddenly Somebody. 